Pre-recorded at the schoolyard gents, an improbable oasis of fellowship and folly nestled like a rare emerald in the very anus of Bayshore, New York, a hamlet where not to be is the answer. My name is Michael Sport Murphy, but you knew that, didn't you? Don't play dumb with me. As I begin this episode, I'm not really sure if it's going to be on schedule or not. Recent days have been a doozy, a series of doozies around here. But the show must go on. And as the show goes on today, you may notice an abundance of unusually interesting jingles. I've been given by my friend Erwin Chusid a copy of an album that he's just produced. It's just come out. Raymond Scott, The Jingle Workshop, Mid-Century Musical Miniatures, 1951 to 1965. Most of you, I guess, know who Raymond Scott was. He did uh, a load, a real ton of um, jingles for uh, radio and television. This album is a, this is a two-CD set. It's a beautiful thing, hardcover, an extensive booklet. Um, each CD has about 40 tracks or more and um, copious liner notes and information it's it's designed beautifully it's on the modern harmonic label I'm gonna be peppering the show with the selections from this so what say we cancel the preambulatory palaver and get right into the show I don't know about you but I could use a boost maybe a sack full of crystals Let's have a sack full of crystals. Let's have ourselves a treat. Let's have a sack full of crystals. Let's all go out to eat. It's crystal clear. It's a good idea. Crystal hamburgers. Let's have a sack full of crystals. If you really want to rate with your family or your date, get the happy crystal habit. Enjoy good food the easy way. So this is what's called a donut. In the middle of these old jingles, a space is left open where the singers stop and the DJ is allowed to speak about, uh, oh, local availability of the product or any promotions that are going on. And the little spiel ends just in time for the jingle to return. If you're annoyed that I'm doing this here, just go by Raymond Scott, The Jingle Workshop. If you really want to rate with your family or your date, get the happy crystal habit. Enjoy good food the easy way.
Ellie Sigmeister, like Gershwin or Copeland, a Brooklyn boy, that was his uh, spring fever on a ferry boat from a piece he wrote for the 1939 World's Fair called Around New York. Might hear another bit of that later. I like it. I also like the song It's As Easy As One, Two, Three by Jill Gibson, very talented artist who wrote that song, co-wrote that song which was first released as a B-side for Jan and Dean. I think the track is exactly the same track as was used on that release. Um, She was dating Jan Berry for a number of years. He arranged and produced that record. They, uh, as I said, put it out on a B-side and then her version came out about a year or so later. She's had a pretty interesting career in music and out of music. Unfortunately, what she'll probably be remembered for in terms of pop history is for being a short-lived replacement for Michelle Phillips in the Mamas and Papas. I think she's considerably more talented. But hey, who knows what went on in John Phillips' head? I sure don't want to know. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds. Thank you. 
Someday you'll come along. What the fuck here are we in? It does a 
heartbroken resignation, which is something one becomes more and more familiar with in life. If it's really got to be this way, I tend to hate when people are characterized by the influence they've had on people. I, I, it means nothing to me. I'm more, uh, more interested in the work itself by the artist, his or herself. But in this case, it is worth noting that Arthur Alexander, who you just heard, was covered by... Um, Bob Dylan, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, along with artists like Ike and Tina Turner, Jerry Lee Lewis, George Jones, etc., etc., etc. He was kind of a giant um, songwriting. And that was from his last album from 1993. He died right around the time it was released. He may have even been dead before it was released, but um, shows that his talent was intact to the very end. Arthur Alexander preceded by the fabulous Poodles with Rosie Pink. I think that might have been uh, around about 1978 or 79, maybe. From an album, Mirror Stars, at least uh, stateside, that's the album it was on. I didn't love the album, but uh, always liked that track. 
great bounce, great fiddle, you know, it's just a, it's a real cool feel. I mean, come on, you admit it, you like a nice bounce, you like a nice fiddle. Go, go, go! sure that our advocates for the abolition of single-use plastic containers enjoy that message. And it was preceded by a track from the Backyardigans, children's TV show, Nick Jr. Uh, I know my kids watched it when they were small, Miles and Lily. My beloved children used to watch the Backyardigans, and um, I wasn't that aware of children's television after I stopped being a child. Some things would come to my attention, but... I didn't pay much attention to, to most of it. And I was kind of surprised when the kids were small that there, were, there was such an explosion of quality children's television. Certainly in a lot of respects, like production, values, uh, music, uh, these, these cartoons were better than the things I grew up with. The made-for-TV stuff I grew up with, I should specify. One of the things that made the Backyardigans so entertaining were the scores which were largely created by Evan Lurie, brother of John Lurie. And I had the pleasure of talking with him around that time. We had a conversation about the making of the Backyardigans scores. And one of, he, he would always come at them from a very odd angle. Every episode, these animal characters would enact different dramas in, in various fantasy situations. They might be knights, they may be astronauts. And Evan Lurie would try to match the theme of the episode with a musical genre that bore some oblique relationship to the story. For example, an episode where they, all, where they were all Tarzan-type characters. Lurie decided that Edgar Rice Burroughs' original Tarzan stories were kind of a Victorian fantasy, so he paired it with a, a Gilbert and Sullivan style in the songs. So you can see how the weird tangents he would take off from. Very creative, always interesting, always unexpected. And that was characteristic of a lot of the original thinking that went into a lot of the cartoons that we were watching around that time. Little children fare like 
the Wonder Pets as well as stuff for older kids and adults like Adventure Time. Not that it was all great. There was some stuff that annoyed the hell out of me like Dora the Explorer. It was just repetitive and kind of lame. I didn't mind the bilingual part of it. In fact, I, it might have annoyed me even more because I came from the era, I think, of uh, the golden era of bilingual children's television. I mean, not just children's television. There was uh, stuff like there was a great sitcom, and I mean great. It was really one of my favorite all-time sitcoms called Que Pasa USA. If you chance to see any episodes of this, take the opportunity. It was a great, hilarious show. And um, anyway, for kids, there was Caras Colendas, there was uh, Via Alegre, and this is from that. What the hell were they singing about, right? Sure, I know it's fun, but no entiendo. <laughs> Maybe this will help. If we slap our hands together, they go clap, clap, clap. Come on, buckaroos. If we slap our hands together, they go clap, clap, clap. Let's do this. Our feet against the floor and they go tap, tap. Michael Ferentino, come on. Jenica. That's better. That means you, O'Shaughnessy. That's it, Debbie. That's what I call vacaciones buckaroo. Buckaroo holiday.
Just begun Free from the ties And the watchful eyes That restrain them At first through hot streets And bazaars They walk in a dream And people who see them Remark on their beauty As they pass A perfect pair Not a single care To disturb them so happy, he thinks he is, she watches him, her eyes on his, what draws her closer, does the wind change, some subtle danger, something strange. She's suddenly unwell, retires to their room in the small hotel. He takes a stroll in the jasmine-scented night, gay voices beckon to some new delight. Early next morning, on the plane, they sit side by side. Conversation, but it's not the same. They're flying apart, and they feel in their hearts something
from 1968, a song of shocking sexual self-discovery from Peter Frampton's band, The Herd. And it just was Herd. <laughs> Interesting record in general, but I love and I know you love that banjo low brass combination. Also heard so fetchingly on the previous cut, Algundia from Julieta Venegas. 40 whole years after the herd recorded their song, in 2008, the first episode of MTV Unplugged to be recorded in Mexico. And uh, it's a great episode. The, the band she has on this performance is just phenomenal. I, I, I just love the way they sound and the feel of that song and the sound of her voice and the texture of it. I love it. I've tried to play this for people, and usually it doesn't go over too big, but I hope you liked it. I like it. You're listening to Buckaroo Holiday. Oh, yeah. With Mike Sport Murphy. I like it. So this is what my good friend Willie and I have called song grafts for many years. You know, the kind of thing where you, you're listening to a song or thinking about a song and some section of it seems to lead directly into another song. A lot of people have done this probably forever. And the logical extension of it all are mashups, you know. Um, now that we have all this crazy technology. Since I've been doing mashups for this show, it occurred to me to ask Willie if he could find a list of these song grafts that he's come, been keeping for all these years. As far as I know, he's the one who coined that term. He also has what he calls simultaneous songs, which are songs that sort of can play parallel to each other. One example of that was on a recent show where I did a uh, mashup that had uh, Billy Jean going over Papa Don't Preach by Madonna, which are simultaneous songs to the nth. So Willie, mensch that he is, dug out piles of little scraps of paper in which he wrote these ideas through the years. And by using the crazy technology available today, I've tried to make some of them manifest. Song. When you 
Queen of the Minstrels by Eric Dupere, under the name Mr. Day. He's a French artist. Did that around 2011. I was a little torn over playing that one because it samples a uh, record that's much better, actually. The almost identically titled Queen of the Minstrel by Cornell Campbell and the Eternals from 1969. Reggae record. I'm going to make it up to Cornell Campbell by playing that record on a future show because it's really great. And uh, the reason I chose the Mr. Day record is because by sampling the Cornell Campbell record, it evokes this weird, mysterious effect that certain records have on me sometimes. A lot of doo-wop records, a lot of reggae records, sometimes a country record. They'll have these this weird, distant, ghostly strangeness that um, delights me. And I think that uh, Mr. Day used that very effectively on his remake of that song. And of course, another one of our Little Raymond Scott jingles. Before that, though, we heard uh, The Ballad of the Remo Four by Ashton Gardner and Dyke. The Remo Four were a band that came out of the Britbeat movement in the early 60s, contemporaries of the Beatles and all those acts, and they were very well regarded by their peers. They appear uh, on the Wonderwall music album that George Harrison put together. After the dissolution of the Remo Four, members Tony Ashton and Roy Dyke got together with Kim Gardner, and among other things, they recorded that look back at their earlier career. Recorded, I don't know, 1971 or 72, something like that. I really dig the bridge. That's the part that gets me. Day Off by Ellie Sigmeister. Thank you. 
Ex-lax helps you toward your normal regularity gently overnight. Ex-lax helps you. Every time. Exciting Sue Thompson in 1965 with Paper Tiger addressed to someone who's getting too big for their britches. That was a song written for her by John D. Loudermilk who wrote her other songs which were much bigger hits. The biggest one was Sad Movies Make Me Cry and the other was Norman which uh, when I was a kid we played as a kind of a gag. It's uh, It might be regarded as a uniquely annoying record I think it's kind of charming uh, Paper Tiger uh, is my favorite of her songs I love the chord changes on it John Loudermilk was a real oddball he did a lot of really interesting stuff but Sue had herself a nice career and as far as I know is still having it oh there goes Pumpkin shout out to Thomas King on that one I imagine some of these songs must seem prehistoric to some of you. To tell you the truth, there's much older stuff that I'm probably going to start bringing into this thing. I wasn't sure what the traffic would bear, but um, I did make a decision 
You might recall in previous shows how I've discussed the listenership. I, I decided that the answer to this problem is to stop paying attention to this and just make the damn shows. Uh, I hope you're still out there. And um, I appreciate when you all let me know on uh, Facebook and email and whatnot that you um, like the show. But speaking of seemingly ancient music, here's something from uh, Pittsburgh's George Goodman and the Headliners. It's from 1964, which was a period of doo-wop resurgence. After the 50s, a lot of records came in that were pretty slick. And it might have been a reaction to that, that local labels and regional sounds started to reassert themselves. It's almost like a return to roots feel, um, in a way that I think of the British beat bands is sort of like that, going back to something that really excited them a couple of years earlier. And a lot of great records came out. Um, my favorite doo-wop group, the Jive Five, really happened at that point. This song, even though it's a recent discovery for me, has that magic for me. It's a it's just a powerful record. It has this very weird keening high voice, and the chord changes vary from the doo-wop norm just enough, just fancy enough to be sort of special. And it has that mystery, that beauty that I love.
Mal Waldron with Warm Canto from his album The Quest, 1961, which you're Eric Dalfi there, blowing there. Eric Dalfi. Looks like we're past the hour mark already. How the hell with it? I feel like hearing Lulu. All day up and down the street Looking for him
That's a little tip of the hat to Lane Steinberg, who first pointed out that strange coincidence between two different Paul McCartney compositions. Um, you know, the time seems to get away, which is good, I guess. I mean, if there's so much stuff that I want to do that I wind up not having enough time to do it. That's kind of better than running out of stuff halfway through the show. Um, obviously, I'm going to go along today, and if you stay with it, God bless you. If you don't, fare thee well. Next time, i got to address a few things. I wanted to talk about some gifts I got. Colin Gibbons, a dear friend from England, sent me uh, some CDs that are treasurable. Colin sent that for my birthday. And uh, also for my birthday, Willie Liguri, who I mentioned earlier, gave me something that answered a question raised on the very first Buckaroo holiday. And I'll, uh, I think I'll get to that next time. I also wanted to read something. Because on that first Buckaroo holiday, I was reading from that really weird book, The Glossaries. I've gotten this other book, which is really interesting. It's called The Treasure of the Castilian or Spanish Language by Sebastián de Covarrubias Horasco, selected and translated by Janet Hendrickson. And remind me to read some excerpts next time from that one. It's pretty amazing. But for now, just big thanks to Colin and to Willie for their thoughtfulness and friendship. I should mention that Lulu, whose big hit, of course, was To Serve With Love, also covered some Bowie early on in his career and dated or married, maybe, even. Morris Gibb from the Bee Gees, from the sublime Bee Gees. I don't know if she actually married him or not. Maybe Jim Allen could help me to that fact. I don't feel like looking it up. She did Where's Eddie in 1970. I think that's a beautiful little record. That searching genre. Sort of like Kentucky Rain by Elvis Presley. You know, I'm out there physically going from town to town. Searching for my errant inamorata. And of course, the errant inamorata of the great Carol King was the great Jerry Goffin. He kind of got into some bad habits and became a little dissolute. So as Carol rocketed to solo stardom, he was kind of casting about a little bit. He wrote a lot of songs, um, and he released some albums. This one, from 1973... The album is entitled, It Ain't Exactly Entertainment. It's an example of a lot of what you heard around that time when some of these people who'd been in the music business discovered the band. They had such an impact, the band. They came out and suddenly everybody was writing these shaggy dog tales and they were all dressing like, uh, I don't know, like the village smithy. You know, everybody got these long beards. Always a bad sign. I mean, even even Cass Elliot and... uh, Melba Moore, everybody grew the long beard and dressed in these dour, you know, vests and fucking, you know, waistcoats and boots and whatnot. It, it took over. And everybody wanted to write these Americana epics. And um, so here's one from Jerry Maryland again. 
Vibrations of a tuning fork never vary in frequency. By harnessing those precise vibrations to keep time for you, Bulova 
has created the first totally new timepiece in 450 years. Accutron by Bulova, world's new standard of accuracy. The night was clear and the moon was yellow and the leaves came tumbling. Now, I have a couple of heroes in the arts. They've uh, inspired me with their work, of course, but also uh, the example of their lives. All of them were unorthodox, individualists. You heard one of them on the last Buckaroo Holiday, Charles Ives. Um, I would also mention Vivian Stanchel from the Bonzo Dog Band. Maybe I'll play something from him next time. And uh, the third in my trinity of great artistic heroes as uh, John Cassavetes. These were people who went to extreme lengths to become and remain who they really were. They seemed to be untouched by the criticisms and the rejection of other people, of the failures of works that they did. Commercial failure, anyway. They invented individualistic ways of expressing themselves using familiar mediums but not accepted ways none of them were exactly outsiders they all interacted with uh, other artists of their time but remained apart not by perversity but by necessity they all created work that has given me courage and a friendship in a way through my life when I really needed it and I still go to them for that comfort and inspiration. So, John Cassavetes. I love his movies. When I was a kid, I saw Husbands. And I said, boy, that, that's how adults actually behave. Makes sense to me. The guy who did his soundtracks from, I think, A Woman Under the Influence on was a guy named Bo Harwood, who also did sound recording and sound editing on all his films. I remember watching an episode of uh, The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder where he had Jenna Rollins and John Cassavetes on there and Cassavetes talked about how Bo Harwood wrote all these great scores but they could never afford to hire an orchestra so that he always had to use a guitar and a kazoo. They finally had a budget for opening night and he actually insisted that Tom Snyder turn the lights down on this TV show, and for five minutes they listened to some of the score from opening night. This is a television show that went completely black for five minutes while the music played. All you saw was cigarettes glowing in the dark. It's the kind of thing I love about Cassavetes. By the way, I especially give Tom Snyder credit for allowing that to happen. But anyhow, this is from Cassavetes' last movie, Love Streams, a movie that I deeply love. And it's a dream sequence. It's an operetta that Cassavetes wrote with Bo Harwood. Your tolerance for this or lack thereof may match your tolerance or lack thereof for Cassavetes' work in general. But anyway, here it is, the operetta from Love Streams.
Medicated cough drops, Vic'll soothe the tickle away. Get Vic's medicated cough drops. Pick up a pack or two today. When you're coughing and your throat is raw, it always makes good sense to relieve it quick. Remember, Vic's medication makes the difference. Only Vic's cough drops are medicated with the throat-soothing ingredients of Vic's Vapor Rub in famous Vic's Regular and Wild Cherry. And try new medicated lemon flavor with vitamin C. So for coughs of colds and throat irritation... To relieve it quick, remember Vic's medication makes the difference. Get Vic's medicated cough drops. Vic's medicated cough drops. I'll tell you what, I love Vicks. I love Vicks VapoRub, I love Vicks Cough Drops, and I really love the Vicks Inhaler. I'm just really into camphor. I love the smell of mothballs. I know what you're thinking. How do I get their little legs apart? Only joking. But I do love camphor, and I do love Vicks. And there was Raymond Scott telling us all about that. Well, you made it through the Love Streams operetta. Give you credit for that. And I think it's time I let up on you. I'm going to mosey along. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Before I leave, i play one more selection. I mentioned Vivian Stanchel before. His longtime collaborator since the days of the Bonzo Dog Band and beyond, uh, Neil Innes. Everyone knows about it. He worked with Monty Python. He did the Ruddles. Very talented guy and a sweet, sweet guy. And he's got a new album out. It was crowdfunded, and I participated in the crowdfunding. Now, I haven't heard it yet. I don't know uh, I don't know when I'll get hold of it. The premium that was offered for this thing was a handwritten lyric of your choice. I received those lyrics on my birthday. So that was a thrill. So here's the song. It's called Plenty of Time. And this is a version of it from the Grimm's album, Sleepers. Grimm's was a band that he formed with uh, members of The Scaffold and the Liverpool scene, like-minded, eccentric acts from the 1960s in England. This was their, this was their third and best album. Um, came out in 1976, and boy, was I thrilled. Written by Neil Innes, performed by Grimm's, Plenty of Time. And I thank you for spending your time with me here on Buckaroo Holiday. And I look forward to next time. Moi. Plenty of time if you want it. We got plenty.